Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Clearance versus approval versus granted. I mean, do these terms really matter? Do they make a big difference when it comes to medical devices and working with the FDA? Yeah, you bet they do. And listen to this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast where Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences and I explore the difference between clearance, approval, and granted. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And with me today, I have Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure to speak with you and your audience. Well, Mike, in recent news, there were some uh, there was some uh, big name company that uh, got a new device or a device that was actually now uh, recognized as a medical device. And I noticed in the press release on the the particular product. Uh, they were, um, I think they were pretty confused about uh, some of the terminology, the, the regulatory terminology. They were interchanging the, the words approved versus cleared and that sort of thing. And and I, I see this a lot, actually, where, you know, somebody will say, oh, we just got our 510K approved. You know, inside of me, I'm like, I want to correct them. Uh, I want, I want to, to make sure they're using the right the right terminology on these sorts of things. So I thought you and I could spend a few moments today talking about the difference between clearance and approval and granted and, and how those terms really do matter and how they tie to certain types of classifications and, and types of uh, regulatory submissions. So does that sound okay with you? That sounds like a great topic to talk about, John. Happy to be part of the conversation. All right. So, you know, I guess first question for you is, do the words really matter? Does it really matter if I say clearance versus approved or if I interchange those words? Does that really make a big difference? Long story short, John, it does. Depending on who you ask, it can make a great difference. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But perhaps before we do, we should just make very clear to your audience what those terms refer to. So as John was describing, when we talk about clearance versus granted versus approval, we're talking about three of the most common ways that medical devices are brought to the market here in the United States. The pre-market notification, uh, also known as the 510K, the de novo and the pre-market approval, also noted, uh, also known as the PMA. Those are the three most common. They're certainly not the only ways that medical devices can be brought to the market, but those are the three most common. So let's see. John, when a 510K gets a successful, uh, I'm sorry, when a medical device company gets a successful 510K from the FDA, what is that called of those three um, choices? It's sort yeah, of multiple guess. Sure, that, that is uh, clearance. That's, that's correct. When a 510K is complete, it's cleared by the FDA. When a PMA is complete, what do we call that? Uh, that is approval. That is approval, PMA, pre-market approval, so that's an easy one to remember. And finally, bonus question, although this is a process of elimination, so the third choice, when a de novo <laughs> is complete by the FDA, what do we call that? Granted. 
granted. And granted, by the way, is a relatively new term. It was just introduced by FDA in one of the new de novo guidances last year. So when a 510K is completed, it's clear. When a PMA is completed, it's approved. When a de novo is completed, it's granted. More importantly, why does it matter uh, in terms of the terminology? Because in regulatory affairs, terminology does matter. You're exactly right, John. I see it myself as well. Sometimes from the press, in the press releases from some of the largest medical device companies on earth, I will see uh, they say our 510K was just approved. And simply put, that's a factually incorrect statement. A 510K is never approved. And a lot of people say, well, Mike, why do you worry about such a thing? You know, it's just a matter of semantics. Why, why, is, uh, you know, why do you get upset if a company says their 510K is approved? John, do you have uh, any thoughts as to why that would, would bother somebody like me so much? Well, I, I think it goes back to the really the notion or the premise behind what a 510K is. I mean, a, a 510K, you're demonstrating substantial equivalence to a predicate device. Uh, so it's it's not FDA evaluating your your product and its safety and efficacy uh, all by itself. It is FDA reviewing your product compared to something else. Uh, so they're not really going to approve your product because of your comparison to another product. That's certainly correct, and that's part of the answer, but it's not the entire answer. There are other reasons why we should get upset when we hear a medical device company make that kind of a mistake. And here's the main reason why I find it frustrating is because one of the things that I've learned in dealing with my product liability attorney friends is that when I'm working as an expert witness in a medical device product liability case, if the opposing counsel can impugn any one aspect of my testimony, in other words, if they can show that just one thing that I say is is incorrect or is wrong, then my entire testimony can be thrown away. So if this medical device company, even if it's one of the largest medical device companies on earth, makes this one seemingly simple mistake, like saying their 510K was approved rather than cleared, what other mistakes might they may be, may yeah. be making that might not be quite so, you know, seemingly trivial? Mm-hmm. So, you know, for better or for worse, terminology does matter. And there's a third aspect of why the difference between clearance versus approval is so important. And that is when it comes to product liability. Are you familiar with a U.S. Supreme Court case from about a decade ago called Regal versus Medtronic? Are you familiar with that case, John? Just just vaguely. I know this is uh, an area that you uh, often caution companies on the topic where a lot of people have a fear of the FDA. And and uh, I've heard you advise more than once that it's you know you should have a healthy respect for FDA, but it really is the liability attorneys that you should worry about. So tell us a little bit more about this this uh, Supreme Court case. So first of all, I'm not an attorney, nor do I play one on TV. But this particular case, Regal versus Medtronic from 2008, and we can provide a couple of references for your audience on the website if you want, is one of the most important medical device cases in U.S. law, in my non-legal opinion. Because basically a decade ago, the U.S. Supreme Court held, and I'm going to greatly simplify this, that the level of safety and effectiveness of a medical device for uh, a PMA medical device is much higher 
than it is for a 510K. And as a result, it's much more difficult for somebody to sue a medical device company with a PMA device than it is a 510K device. In other words, again, I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can, and I apologize to my attorney friends for any oversimplification, but medical devices brought onto the market under the PMA are held to a much higher level of liability, uh, higher level of liability than a 510k. It's much more difficult if a patient is, is is harmed by a PMA device. It's much more difficult for them. It's certainly not impossible, but the burden is much higher for a PMA device than for a 510k device. Um, and I can tell you from personal experience and some of the other cases that I've been involved with, the courts, as a general rule, they're not fond of the 510k. As a matter of fact, I've had some attorneys tell me flat out that they have no no respect for the 510K, and they actually love going after companies with a 510K device, in part because of this Regal versus Medtronic case that I've been talking about, where the Supreme Court has held that it's basically easier to sue a company with a 510K device over a PMA. Wow. One last thing that I'll just mention very quickly, John, and I would love to hear your thoughts and your experiences on this. but and I've said this, I'm sure, in some of our previous discussions as well. I often hear people tell me they're striving for regulatory compliance or quality compliance. Uh, you know, when you, but when you think about it, that's a pretty low place to set the bar. You know, when a when a medical device company gets a, a 510k clearance, when their grant when their de novo is granted, when their PMA is approved, when they get you know ISO blah 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 certified, when they get a CE mark, that's the academic equivalent of being a C student. That just means that you're passing. That does not mean that you're making a great product. And how many times in the history of, of man has it happened where a medical device or a drug for that matter has gotten onto the market meeting the regulatory requirements that existed at that particular time only to go on to cause harm to, uh, to some people and in some cases even kill people. Yeah. And sometimes as a result, you know, we raise the regulatory requirements. But remember, John, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So 20 years from now, 50 years ago, uh, 50 years from now, when people look back at what we're doing now, what our regulatory requirements and our quality requirements are from 2018, you know, aren't they going to be saying the same thing? Interesting to, to think about. But anyway, we can put some information on this particular sure. case uh, on the website if people are interested. What are your thoughts on all of that, John? Well, I was thinking a little bit about, you know, conversations that you and I have had previously in, you know, the, there are strategic advantages as to why I may want to go down the clearance path versus the approval path versus the granted path. And I thought, you know, in, in addition to, you know, talking a little bit about the differences between those three terms, maybe spending a few moments talking about some of the advantages or disadvantages of each, and, and you've hit on a, f- a couple of things, but you know, what, what are so, some of the pros and cons versus getting the clearance versus approval versus granted? And, and I know there are, are numerous for each, but I, I thought maybe if, if you could share uh, maybe a couple uh, thoughts about pros and cons of, of each of those different pathways. Yeah, I think that's a great question, John, because you're exactly right. There are advantages and disadvantages to everything. There are pros and cons to each of those pathways, as you just very eloquently described. So we've talked a little bit about terminology. We've talked even a little bit about 
product liability, let's talk about a few others. One that comes to mind is something I call competitive regulatory strategy. This is a topic that you and I have also talked about in the past, and I've even done webinars in the past. But bottom line, as I'm sure everybody in your audience would agree, the 510K is the most common pathway to market for medical devices here in the U.S. And in many cases, there are advantages to the 510K, but in some cases, there are disadvantages as well. There are some very significant advantages to a de novo or even a PMA over a 510K, one of them being competitive regulatory strategy. I won't talk about that in in detail. We can provide some links to some of the previous work that you and I have done in this area. But for those in the audience that are not familiar with this, the idea of competitive regulatory strategy is not simply following the leader, that is following the path, the regulatory path that somebody took before you, but rather creating a new path such that it's more difficult for others to follow in your footsteps. And using the de novo over a 510K or using a PMA over a 510K can help set up some very significant, I don't want to say barriers, but certainly big speed bumps in the road that would make it more difficult for your competitors to to follow in your footsteps. Another thing that we have to keep in mind is the importance of reimbursement today. Once again, uh, from a reimbursement or a health economic perspective, there are some very significant advantages to bringing a device onto the market under a de novo or perhaps even even as a PMA as opposed to a 510K. So simply put, yes, on one hand, the 510K is the most common pathway to market here in the U.S. The question is why? You know, a lot of people think that it's the most common because it's the best. I do not make such an assumption. You know, McDonald's is one of the most successful restaurants in the world. Is it because they make a good hamburger? Not so much. You know, so just because a lot of people do something doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best. And one last thing that I'll mention, John, um, is because this 510K is so used, some people might even say overly used, some people don't even realize that there are other possible options to bring their medical device onto the market. I had somebody come to me a couple of months ago and said, we're bringing our new medical device onto the market as a 510K. And I said, okay, just out of curiosity, why? And they turned to me and they said, Mike, did we have another option? So (laughs) (laughs) you're laughing, John, but that that actually happened. It's a true story. And, you know, so simply put, if we don't know all of the different options that we have, all of the different pathways to market. And by the way, the three that we're talking about, the 510K, the de novo, and the PMA, those are only three of the seven major options that we have to bring medical devices onto the market here in the U.S. If we don't know what all of the options are and the advantages and disadvantages to each and every one, then how can we possibly know which one to use in our particular situation? In other words, how can we do our job? No, that's a really good point. And, you know, so folks talking with Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences today, and we're talking a little bit about the terminology confusion, specifically clearance versus approval versus granted, and, and really how this ties into your overall competitive regulatory strategy. But it's a really good point, Mike. I mean, I, I do think that, um, you know, if you look at the stats, and, and I don't, don't remember them off the top of my head, but it's pretty overwhelming that majority the vast majority of medical devices are are going through this this 510k pathway to to get um, the necessary 
blessing, if you will, from from FDA. And and it's a good point. You know, if there are seven pathways and I only know about one, who's to say that that is the best pathway for, for my product? Folks, I, I recommend that you really understand what those options are as far as the seven d- different paths. Now, you know, just I, I guess we've hit on three, Mike. What just for the, the sake of clarity for the audience so they can maybe dive in and do a little bit of their own research. What are the other four? Well, sure. That's a good question, John. And I'll tick through those in just a moment. But as I listened to what you just said, I was reminded of the old adage, if the only tool that you have is a hammer, all of your problems tend to look like nails. So I yeah. think re- regrettably to a lot of folks, certainly not everybody, I am admittedly stereotyping here and there are exceptions, but to a lot of folks in the medical device industry, I think the only tool that they have in their regulatory toolbox to the 510K, and they might have heard of the de novo screwdriver or the PMA pliers. And by the way, if they've heard anything about the PMA, um, as you and I have talked about before, they've probably been advised to stay as far away as yeah. they possibly can from that, which I think is is, is, is regrettable, as, as you and I have discussed. But those are the three biggies by volume. Other pathways to market in no particular order include the humanitarian device exemption, or HDE. That's sort of the medical device equivalent to the orphan drug program, uh, for those that are familiar with that. The CDE, the custom device exemption, which is a very uncommonly used pathway to market, but it's one of my favorite pathways to use what I can. The compassionate use uh, exemption, which is now part of... um, Oh, I'm embarrassing myself, John. Uh, I knew you were going to ask me this question. Uh, well, I, I, I didn't um, mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, fair enough. I'm trying to remember the uh, what used to be part of the uh, expanded access program. I was looking yeah. up. I don't want to mislead our audience. But bottom line, we have done other recordings and other webinars on this yes. topic, and we can provide this to the audience. But there are seven different major pathways. And by the way, underneath each underneath many of those seven different major pathways, there are a number of sub pathways. So for example, under the 510K, as you know, there's the traditional, the special, the abbreviated, and some people might even include now the alternative 510K. Under the PMA, there's different sub-pathways and so on. So by the time you do the arithmetic job, there are more than seven, uh, sorry, more than 20 different pathways that we can bring medical devices to market here in the United States. And, you know, I, I hear people say sometimes that it's more difficult to bring a drug onto the market here in the U.S. than it is a medical device. And in some ways that's true, but in other ways it's really not. Because in the drug world, depending on how you count, and I do a fair amount of work on the drug side as well, there are only three or four different pathways to bring a drug onto the market here in the U.S. Whereas for a medical device, as I just said, we have more than 20 different pathways uh, to choose from. And don't even get me started if we really wanted to kick this up a notch or two, John, when we talk about combination products. So a combination of a device and a drug. On the device side, we have more than 20 options. On the drug side, we have, you know, three or four or perhaps even five options. We do the arithmetic. Now the possibility, the possible ways that we can put all these things different, you know, together can be, uh, quite frankly, overwhelming. But there are a lot of different options to choose from. Yeah, that's a really good point, folks. And again, I want to go back to um, and, and stress, you know, this is why that 
that competitive regulatory strategy is so important because each of the, these different paths, uh, these different you know twenty some options, there are pros and cons to each. There are you know certainly some that. Um, that might seem as advantageous because they're faster or less burdensome, so to speak, as far as a regulatory process may be concerned. To Mike's earlier point, just because you know the path is seems like it, uh, like a PMA, for example, seems like it might be um, a kiss of death. That that may not be the case. It may be the best path for your particular product for your your device. And I do want to go back John, to that. John, I'm yeah. sorry to go backwards. Just for, for completeness, uh, I did remember the seventh pathway I yeah. omitted uh, a moment ago, and that is the product development protocol, or PDP, which is a very uncommonly used pathway to market. But it's, it's, a, it's similar to the HDE and the PMA. It's for class three medical devices. And uh, again, it's one of my favorite pathways to use when it's appropriate. So that for the, right. for the sake of completeness, that's the, the, the seventh pathway. Right, and folks, we'll we'll, um, we'll provide uh, links to th- that additional information so you can dive in and, and do a little bit of your own research. But I do want to go back to something that you said about the the PMA. I remember um, years ago when I was a young product development engineer, and th- th- that was just last week, John. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but anyway, I remember we would we would look at uh, the regulatory pathways for different projects that we were working on. And you know, more times than not, if if the decision tree led us down the path of a PMA, and I worked for a big company at the time, if it was a PMA, we would almost kill the project immediately because of the perceived cost, time, you know, all the the, the burden and hurdles that we were going to have to go through. So, I know a lot of companies they, they'll they'll use that as part of their decision tree. That uh, you know, if it's if it's a PMA class three device, kill it. It's not worth pursuing. So, uh, I know you have a different opinion about that. Do you want to share some of your thoughts? Yeah, in a nutshell, John. Very regrettably, I would have to agree with you. Um, I have worked with a number of companies as well, where as a matter of company policy. If a device uh, is or might be a class three and as a result of PMA, they will simply not work on it. They will not pursue it. And I find that to be very, very regrettable. First of all, I think it's really holding us back as an industry and indeed as a society. You know, when you think about it, John, the PMA devices, the class three devices are among some of the most important medical device devices that we that we use. These are often devices that are life supporting or life sustaining. In some cases, it's very simple. If the if the patient uh, has access to that device, they live. If they don't, they die. So for companies to take on that policy of simply not pursuing a medical device because it's a PMA, I think that's very regrettable. And I think it's regrettably also, John, become sort of a convenient excuse for our industry to hide behind. You know, think about it this way. In the drug world, if drug companies made that excuse about the, the NDA, the new drug approval, for example, or if biotech companies made the excuse for the BLA, the biologics license application, those are both sort of equivalent to the PMA, we would never have a new drug or a new biologic on the market, yeah. right? So uh, I think it's very unfortunate that companies and uh, a lot of other people, including investors, they're so fearful of the PMA because they think 
it's more time, it's more work, it's more testing, it's more risk. And in many cases, that is true. But remember, we're talking about devices that are class three. We're talking about devices that are usually technologically more complex than class two or class one devices. We're talking about devices that usually are indicated for much more severe disease. Oftentimes, the pathophysiology is much more complicated. Oftentimes, the patient has uh, you know, comorbidities. So the fact that it takes more time and more testing and so on should be common sense. But nonetheless, I think there's these are all solvable problems. And these are not problems that we as individual professionals or companies or as an industry should should hide behind. Right. Um, and the last thing that I'll say on this topic, John, because this is yet another topic that, that we've talked about before, I think that the assumption that a lot of people make that it's more work to do a uh, PMA device than a 510K or even a de novo device. Although there's a lot of truth to that, but it's really not that way. You know, in my opinion, and to be fair, John, this is a very unique view in the regulatory community. In my opinion, the amount of work that uh, a company needs to do to bring a product onto the market uh, when it comes to benchtop testing, animal testing, clinical testing, and so on, is not a function of the regulatory pathway. In other words, it should not matter if it's a 510K, de novo, PMA, or anything else. What it's a function of is the technology of the device, how well established it is. It's a function of the disease or the pathophysiology. It's the function of the writ of risk. It's a function of a lot of different biological and engineering related things. It should not be a function of the regulatory pathway. Right. And a lot of people think that, you know, PMA devices are more difficult just because it's a PMA. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's I think, a, an oversimplification. And there are, as I mentioned a moment ago, some significant advantages of a PMA. One is when it comes to competitive regulatory strategy. If you're working in the gray area between class two and class three, and you can go either way, it might be tempting for you to go class two um, and do it as a 510K but not, or even a de novo. But now you've ease the regulatory burden for those following in your footsteps because they can do a 510K off of your de novo or your 510K. But instead, if you set the bar a little higher, if you go the PMA route, now the burden for your competition is much higher. And I've seen it happen before, John, where a small or a startup company will find out that the device that they're working on their competition just went through the FDA and they did it as a PMA, that could cause them to instantaneously review their regulatory strategy. It might even cause them to shut their doors and go out of business today. Yeah, That's a very significant advantage. Um, and one last small advantage, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, John, in the PMA world is uh, although the user fees for PMAs are much higher than they are for 510Ks and even de novos, the first PMA is free. So there are some incentives for companies to do this. That's a very long-winded response to your question, John. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I just thought it would be good to kind of put a, a wrapper on this and, and provide a bit of a summary for folks. So first of all, um, we, we dove into the words clearance versus approval versus granted. Clearance 510K. Approval, PMA, granted, de novo. Yes, the words do matter. So 
uh, you know, for those of you who are involved with, with getting products through uh, the FDA processes, make sure you choose the right uh, verb as far as uh, it pertains to your particular product. Don't, don't use cleared uh, for a PMA. Don't use approved for your 510K and, and so on. So that's important. Do use the right terminology. Um, second point is, you know, there are multiple pathways to the market. You know, there are seven, you know, top level, if you will, uh, pathways for medical device. And then there are sub levels that set underneath each of those. So be aware of what each of these options are because the, the 510K may seem like the only path or the only option because it's the, the most u- ubiquitous. Uh, doesn't mean it might be the, the best option for your product. So that that means that, um, or I would suggest uh, to you that you do some competitive regulatory strategy. And if you want to know more about uh, the options, the pros, the cons, the, the different pathways and, and why one might be better for what you're doing than another, and you're kind of stuck and you don't know where to go, I would highly encourage you to reach out to Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences and and they can provide uh, some context and, and certainly be a resource to help you out. So, Mike, any final words before we uh, wrap up today's podcast? Yeah, just one last thing to mention, John. And again, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to talk with, with you and your audience today. Uh, we've talked about the importance of, of terminology. And to some people, the terminology is very important. But please notice I'm using the word some people. I'm not using the word to all people. So clearly to regulatory and quality geeks like us working in companies and at the FDA, terminology is important. Certainly to uh, attorneys, product liability attorneys, and to the U.S. Supreme Court, these, these uh, terminology is important. But let's be honest, John, think about it this way. If a physician or a surgeon is using your particular medical device, do you think he or she is going to know or quite frankly even care whether the device was cleared, granted, or approved? Probably not. And if they did, by the way, I would wonder, gee, maybe they have too much time on their hands. You know, why are they, why are they yeah. working on me? Right. So to some people, the terminology is important, but not to everybody. And at the end of the day, you know, safety and effectiveness of any medical device is going to be a factor of many, many, many different things. But one thing that I guarantee it will never be uh, dependent on is whether it was cleared, granted, or approved. Right. So, you know, I, I, I just want to put things in perspective here. Yes, terminology is important. And as we've talked about today, these are things that we should be aware of and should be discussing. But let's also remember how these things fit in in terms of the importance in the global scheme of the universe. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And folks, you know, the, the p- regulatory pathway that you choose, um, it's not a shortcut for the work. Uh, so, you know, and, and Mike's been very clear about that today. And and I want to make sure that, that you understand there, there's still the prudent engineering. There's still the, the effort that is required to demonstrate that that your product is safe. And, and ultimately, you want to be able to demonstrate that that product works as well. So, uh, don't don't look at a regulatory pathway as a as a shortcut to minimize the type of work that you have to do. It is still your responsibility to to prove and demonstrate that that product is worthy of being used on patients. So so take that seriously, uh, Mike. I want to thank you very much for the the clarification uh, today and and helping 
provide some insights to our audience on the difference between clearance and approval and granted. And folks, as I said, if, if you um, are looking for some assistance on that competitive regulatory strategy to better understand the options that you have on getting your, your medical device to market, you should reach out to Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. This has been John Spear, the host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.